Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Dr. Ishan. If you were here before, welcome back. If you're a new listener, welcome. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist and board-certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist. Currently, I'm adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford School of Medicine. I also run a group practice outside of Stanford. And in my own clinic, I work with a lot of Asian immigrants. What I noticed is some family conflicts show up repeatedly. For example, young adults often complain about suffocated love from their parents. Or there may be a lot of criticism at home every single day. Another common issue is everyone in the house tend to suppress their emotions, their feelings. They end up having a lot of emotional outbursts, a lot of anger, and then nobody is happy. So I want to encourage you to think back of your own family relationships when you grew up. Do you think that relationship nurtured you more or hurt you more? Today, we will discuss this topic about toxic family relationship with Tetsuya Arakawa. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in California. He grew up in a very traditional Japanese family. Through his own life journey and career journey, he has learned how to cope with the negative influence from his own family and now is trying to help others with similar struggles. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. And today we have therapist Tatsuya joining us. Welcome, Tatsuya. Hi, thanks so much for having me. How about you introduce yourself to us first? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tatsuya Arakawa. Um, I'm born and raised in Japan and then uh, came to the U.S. about 20 years ago um, to be a therapist. Uh, now I'm a licensed mental health therapist uh, based in close to Los Angeles. I'm licensed in California, so I can see basically um, everyone living in California. My specialty is a adolescents and adults with anxiety and depression. Also, it's called adult, ch- adult child who was basically raised by uh, toxic parents. Mm. I'm married to uh, my wife. Uh, she's Japanese as well. And I have two kids, six-year-old boy and then a three-year-old girl. Yeah. <laughs> so when you mention the adult child and toxic parent, I think that's such a big topic in Asian culture, right? I know you mm. see Japanese clients more. I see Chinese clients more. So today, let's talk about family relationship within the Asian families. So in Japanese culture or among your clients, what kind of toxic family relationship you see often? Um, Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Yeah, I mostly see Japanese clients. So, um, you know, maybe what I'm going to talk about is could be... uh, you know, exclusively for Japanese culture, but then like, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, uh, similarities. Um, so one of the, 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 the things that I usually see in the toxic family or toxic parents is that like, they tend to disrespect a kids 
pretty badly and then like they they tend to like kind of dictate what the kids need to do and they don't really give choices and their freedom um to to kids so that makes it really difficult for uh kids to feel like it's okay for them to like even live their lives wow so sounds like parents do not respect their children's choice is that similar to kind of like suffocating um parenting style and uh so the child feels like no matter how old they are they feel like in the family we when they face their parents they just don't have a say they don't have a choice right right like i i, I like the word that you use like suffocating because uh that's how they feel like um and then i you know um maybe as you can imagine like i was also raised by toxic parents and then like that word like suffocation like that's basically what i was feeling when i was in japan so when i came to the us for the first time like i felt really like free not mm -hmm. just because you know the you know the america when you think about america like you know freedom is the first thing that you might think about but not just because of that like mm -hmm. the being away from the culture and then mm -hmm. how the tux parents control you um was it was just like really like escaping from the suffocation mm, okay yeah so suffocation is one thing you noticed possibly one of the biggest thing uh in this kind of asian families what are some other common problems you noticed in this kind of so-called toxic family environment um so when they are you know using a uh, it's called like adult child who was raised by uh, toxic parents so when they become adult they tend to even develop like complex ptsd mm. and then kind of be super hyper vigilant super like be hyper vigilant about like certain things like for example um they think too much about what the other others are thinking about them mm. um and then also like they tend to also develop a uh, not like exactly like borderline personality disorder but then like kind of similar to um to that like they tend to develop the traits and then it's not because they're like borderline personality it's just that like that's what they had to do to survive from toxic family mm. so they are more like hyper vigilant and a lot of self-criticism is that mm. what adults will can you explain what adult child you have noticed what that is? Yeah, like uh, they tend to blame themselves like too much mm -hmm. and then they don't really give uh, credits to their achievement pretty much like mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. um, even and then those people tend to actually be a really hyper high high achiever, meaning like they're they were able to get a you know pretty good job with a pretty high salary mm -hmm. or you know prestigious like licenses like mm -hmm. uh, you know lawyers or doctors and such mm -hmm. um but then they don't consider that as an achievement mm. and rather they they think it's just like regular thing that they can do like breathing like breathing there also like uh um like this what that that uh, syndrome you know they just uh, don't like themselves and think they are fake uh, they they are not really achieving anything. Well, like in, imposter syndrome. Oh, in, imposter syndrome, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's really similar to that.、Mm. Yeah, that's sad. A child, you know, they uh try to be the best version of themselves, try to please parents when they grow up, but then they end up growing up with all this internal trauma, never satisfied uh with themselves. I I see a lot of Asian adult, young adult, get lost after they went、yeah. to college or after they achieve a lot at work, and but they still very confused about their life. Right, right, right. And then,、um, as you were saying this, like other thing that I remember、um, is that, like,、uh, I'm I'm presuming, like, you know, this is applicable to other Asian countries. But then, like, in Japan,、um, it's kind of expected that the kids take care of their parents once the parents become, you know, old to the point where they can't really take care of themselves by themselves. And then,、um, so that's a kind of Setting the fire for the uh a child because the more the child interacts with the toxic parents, the more they get triggered. Meaning they they get flashbacks and then they feel depressed or feel anxious because of what the toxic parents done to them in the past. But then uh culturally, if they don't really take care of them uh of their parents. They could be considered as a really bad child, and then that's also like you know、uh, not really good for their mental health. So either way, like they're kind of trapped. Then they don't really, they can't really escape from, and it's really difficult for them to not have any contacts with the parents as well. So it's it's really difficult situation for them. Yeah. Yeah. So if they don't have a good relationship with their parents, but you know it's also family、uh, members, and、uh, you love them, but you have to take care of them. But at the same time, they hurt you. What do you do? That's really tricky. Right, right, right. And then you know some of them, like you said, like you know they love they love them, but then、uh, some of them like. I don't know if that's that's considered love because、um, in Japan, like it's it's not really just compared to how the love is expressed in the U.S. It's more like the way that it's expressed in in the in Japan at least is doing something, for,、mm. you know, not not the words, more like behaviors.、Mm. Provide、um, a service to show right, you care right, about right, us, you love us, right, right, and yet. It's really difficult to do that because a lot of my clients tend to feel like they they were not really loved by the parents.、Mm. So as they go through some therapy and then they become aware that it's not that they love the parents. It's just that、uh, it's because they're trying to do something similar to love, just because that's what's culturally expected. Yeah. Yeah, in Asian culture, how parents show love、um, and what they expect from their children can be very different, right? I know a lot of my clients growing up in Asian cultures, their parents' the way to show love is criticizing the children, say you are not good enough, you should do this, you should do that. Why you cannot do this the same as other people, other kids? Right,、mm-hmm. and so a lot of parents they show love by providing service too. Like I give you good food, I buy you good things, I want you 
achieve certain things, just to do well in school, right? Do what you need to do. I will take care of everything else. I provide good uh, care and service to you, but you're not good enough. You have to be better at school. Uh huh. That's definitely a huge problem because I treat a lot of adults. They grow up in such family. After they become mature adults, they feel super um, tiny inside. They feel like yeah. they never grow up. They don't trust themselves. They keep on thinking I'm not good enough. Now they internalize what their parents used to tell them when they were a child. And now as an adult, they just feel like I'm never good enough. They don't even know where that comes from. And that's right. very sad to see. Yeah, it is. It is. So uh, what can people do? Like, how can people deal with this kind of, you know, uh, trauma, basically, they took from their original family, from their uh, parents, right? Because we cannot really change the parents. But I think we can all learn how to cope with it better and how to help protect ourselves and eventually grow up to become a um, healthy adult, mentally healthy mm, adult. Mm, yeah. Mm. What do you do to your clients when you notice such a, you know, adult child phenomenon? Right. So, I mean, like the basic things, I mean, first of all, like, you know, if they can see a therapist, I mean, that's great. Um, and yet at the same time, like I also noticed that, um, a lot of people are not in the stage where, uh, or, you know, because of so many reasons, like um, they can't really see a therapist. Um, and at the same time, like, um, I don't know about other Asian countries, but then like Japan, um, the mental health system, and then um, the uh, psychiatric services are so behind um that like there's so many like so much pseudo um not really correct accurate information out there mm -hmm. and so it's really um so but then like people still like you know look up online and then like they get really like you know uh they get con they continue to get misinformed by the uh, incorrect information mm -hmm. so um I think it's really important that a uh, they have a correct information, like which is the reason why, like, I also um, created this like online course for like uh, adult child who's raised by uh, toxic parents. Mm -hmm. So cor correct information, and they also like you know working on their own issues. Um, that you know, ideally, if you can uh, do so, thank you. It's there. Mm -hmm. um, if you can do so with a therapist, that'd be great. But then, if you don't have a uh, access to it, maybe like um, <laughs> like re reflection on of their um, their own past and how the past has been affecting the present is really important. Mm -hmm. So sounds like you know, if you noticed your family. Uh, in culture was kind of toxic and you are bothered by that. You need to do some really personal work to process what has happened, how your parents impact you and try to do some self-work, ideally with a therapist. If not, at least try to find the legit information resources out there, including your course, right? To really help themselves understand 
how to work this out. And I know your course is in Japanese. So anyone who mm -hmm. speaks Japanese can consider this course. Right, yeah, that'd be great. And then, because uh, like, even if I see uh, my clients, the first thing that I say to them is that don't look up on Google mm. or Facebook or Instagram, TikTok in Japanese. Because um, in Japan, like anyone called, like it's really sad, surprising, but anyone call themselves a therapist without any degree or training or whatsoever. So they just continue to put like wrong information on the internet. So yeah, I tell them at, at the front that like if if they look it up, continue to get the wrong information, they just continue to worsen their mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's think about if if there's a um, family, toxic family environment, right? And uh, the parents for you already an adult, you have your own life. And your parents keep on wanting to calling you and want you to call them frequently, try to know every single thing about your life and try to control everything, who you can date, who you are going out with, what you are eating today, or don't do this, do that, right? Even if you are adult. How can people really set a boundary with their parents in that kind of situation. I see that often <laughs> among some of my clients. Right, right. But, uh, and then I know you're not really even exaggerating. And that's really sad, actually, because mm -hmm. I've, I've heard like, you know, similar situation like you just described too. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what is going to say? The, so like you said, like setting the boundary, mm -hmm. that's really important. And uh, it's, it's, ex it's extremely important for you know adult child to set the boundary with the parents like uh up front mm -hmm. so they need to practice mm. they need to practice how to set the boundaries yeah so those those people who are raised by toxic parents they tend to have difficulty setting the boundaries with not only the parents but also like friends or like you know at work or any like um situations so they can like rate the difficulty uh, setting the boundary from like zero to 10. And then I bet that, you know, 10, the, you know, setting, setting the boundary with the parents is going to fall into like 10 or nine. Um, so kind of aim at like um, the difficulty, like level like three to like six, and then um, see how it's going to work out. And then when they do um, set the boundaries, um, like for example, like, uh, some adult child tend to uh, be too nice to people in general. So when people around them request them to do certain things, they have a difficult time saying no's. And so they're basically making themselves like too busy and that's gonna affect the mental health because uh, they, really do they don't really take care of themselves. So, um, one of the ways is to learn how to set the boundary with the with the friends from and then um if the close friends is easier to like it's if it's easier to set the boundary boundaries with the close friends like say it's like three or four then start from there and then eventually as you as they tend to as they uh, say, continue to set the boundaries with you know people who they feel like they can even if they feel uncomfortable doing so 
the number that they thought it was like eight or nine is going to be decreased is going to decrease to like you know six or five. So they, as they continue to work on that, um, they then hopefully they can start like setting boundaries with the parents as well. And at the same time, <laughs> as they do so, set the boundaries, they feel really uncomfortable and I'm sure scared, anxious, all the feelings. So um, um, they can, um, they also need to learn the coping skills beforehand. And then one of the coping skills, and I, I'm a big fan of like acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, um, so one of the coping skills that they can learn is basically like mindfulness, like in any way, um, instead of trying to control their thoughts and feelings, just because the, any thoughts and feelings will come, come and go, like no matter what. But then if they try to control their thoughts and feelings, they're actually giving themselves more chance to be stuck on the thoughts and feelings that they don't want to think or feel. So accepting it that it's there and then observe it that it's there and it's supposed to, um, you, you're supposed to have a different thoughts and feelings as you do so. That's basically the you know, basic concept of like mindfulness. And, uh, and then as you do, uh, so you need to learn how to do the coping skills to prepare yourself to be able to set the boundaries. Sorry, that was a pretty long answer. It's a very good answer. It's uh, actually a, a lot of um, therapeutic techniques in it just by listening to it, right? I don't know whether people can really get it, but all this definitely can be worked on, at least in therapy sessions. That's what as therapists, we often do those work with mm. individual clients. It takes some time. Uh, I think first thing, no, is already hard for a lot of people. It, it's it's so important and sounds easy to do, but it's actually hard, right? We all want to be liked by other people. We want to be accepted by other people. Some of us even want to please a lot of people around us, no matter it's at work, with friends or with families. That make us always change our own plans and intentions in order to uh, say yes and uh, to follow other people's plans. But how much can you do that? How long can you do that? Eventually, all this uh, pressure going to build up. You feel like what I want, what I need, never get done, right? I always have yeah. to say yes to other people, never say no. Like that, that can build up to something, um, to a much bigger press, uh, like pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So setting the boundary like is... It's good for you, but really difficult for you. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely, like uh, what Tatsuya said, I definitely recommend everyone who are listening and watching to practice how to say no to people around you if that's something you find really challenging to do. It can help you in the long way. Mm -hmm. But we want to say no in a respectful, in a nice way. We can be assertive. Right. I think we can all learn how to be assertive uh, instead of being aggressive or passive aggressive or passive. Assertiveness is a very good way of communication and you can learn how to do that. Think about your 
other coworkers, other people around you, whether you notice anyone can say no in a very nice way, when they say no to you, you actually understand it and you don't take it personally, right? That's the model we want to try to learn and practice towards, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then coping skills too, like, you know, just like any other things like sports or hobbies like you have to practice to get better a lot of people tell me that they oh i did it but then like didn't work well that's because you didn't practice well so you gotta practice first to do well at the actual game yeah practice makes perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also like you know the other thing that as you were saying like i noticed that like a lot of my clients tend to um you know, have difficult time saying no. And then partially it's because of the cultural uh, pressure. Like, you know, Japanese is culture is so collectivistic, meaning like, you know, you got to respect the group. The group comes first, then the individuals. But then like, I, like I wasn't, <laughs> I was born and raised in Japan, but then like, I never thought I was a good fit for this Japanese culture. And then one of the reasons is that like, I noticed that I had to like, suppress my 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 desires my wants my needs because of the group because i had to respect the group but then it just like the acceptance commitment commitment therapy says like if you're doing something that goes along with your values and the wants and desires then um that's gonna lead you to feel happy and satisfied with your life and uh so even if there's a cultural uh, expectation and the pressure that you gotta be, you know, uh, good to the group, if that is not really leading you to feel satisfied with your, with your life, I don't understand why you have to continue to be good to, good to, to the group. I respect the culture, but you don't really have to comply with the cultural rules, quote, quote, rules, like every, for everything, so. Yeah, that's a very important topic, like how we decide when to balance the group needs and our personal needs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, when I treat couples in my own clinical work, I sometimes tell the couples, how, what's the we time? What's the me time? Are you able to balance other, your partners or your family members' needs and time requests? versus your own space and your own needs. Everything has to be a balance. Does not mean it has to be 50-50, but somehow you need to reach a balance that way. Then internally, you don't feel suppressed, you don't feel frustrated, and you won't explode in the future suddenly because you suppress so much. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, you know, I'm wondering if any parents are listening right? And uh, if they realize as parents, they may be anxious, they have some tendency to really control because they have good intentions to have the child grow into someone successful. Um, but what can parents do to themselves to be more aware of this, if they notice this, but they cannot change? Um... They don't know how to change. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm I'm specializing uh, adolescents as I mean kids and adolescents as well. And then like half of my clients are um, adolescents. And then um, when I when I provide services to them, 
um, I, I, I provide individual therapy to adolescents, but I also provide the psychoeducation sessions every week to the parents. Because I always tell them that, you know, because the kids live in the parents' umbrella, if the umbrella doesn't really change, the kids will continue to suffer from that umbrella, how, how the umbrella is used. So, um, like, parents need to change. Like, that's critical. And uh, if they notice that they're doing something that is causing the harm to the kids' mental health, that's great. That's a great start. Like being aware is the first thing that like that they have to do, and yet they uh, tend to really have difficult time doing it. So uh, that's great. And after they can be aware, um, and usually um, a lot of my um, adolescents clients come to see me because um, the parents either control them too much, or parents give. Uh, power to the client uh, to the to the to the kids adolescents too much so having a really good balance is one of the um critical things that they have to really consider you mean the parents have to consider have a good balance and the self-awareness right. and their own balance what kind of balance are you talking about exactly like what kind of balance the parents have to be careful about the control and the power like for example like um if the um if the parents don't really control as much as they should, that means that the kids have too much power in the family, like regarding what they what the kids can do and the kids cannot do. Um, and if that is happening, uh, even if the, the adolescents are not really compliant with the rules, like say at home and in school, they don't listen. <laughs> they don't. They don't listen at all. So. Even if a change might create some um, chaos at, um, at first, the parents need to kind of step up. And then I tend to see that pretty often nowadays um, that, and especially Japanese culture, Japanese culture tend to believe that like now, like they just doing too much were, um, oh, because my uh, 16 year old boy said so and so, I, I just let them do it. Uh, what they're saying is that I don't want to cause trouble. I just let them do what they want to do. Because if I say no to them, then uh, they're going to be really defined. But then that, that's what they have to do. Because once they go to society, they can't really get a yes to every single request. So they're basically like letting them suffer later, like in a big, bigger time. And then the other part is that like if the parents control too much, to the um uh like because like say like adolescents like at the age of like 16 17 like they should have some kind of say voice to like you know what they want to do and what should be doing and how they should be doing but like some parents try to even control that as well and uh so they the and then that was my case as well uh, so those adolescents tend to feel really depressed because they see the world where they just don't really have, um, they just don't, they just don't feel like they have a life. It's not their life. It's actually parents' life, stuff like this. Yeah, I think this really, uh, you can see that among everywhere in a teenager or child's life and in a family environment, right? 
I treat uh, children and uh, different mental disorders. I also treat sleep disorders. It's similarly, sometimes parents control too much, not only mental health disorders, but uh, sleep disorders. Like parents would control the child, say you have to sleep this time. If you don't, bad things are gonna happen to you, right? So a lot of children got really scared. They, they start worrying about sleep from very early age. Um, but sometimes the parents just like, they don't know what to do at all. If the child won't do whatever, they refuse to sleep and or they won't sleep in the parent's bed, even, even though the child is already much older, the parents like, oh, I don't know how to say no, sure, you do whatever, right? We can see either extreme can cause a mm -hmm. lot of problems mm. uh, in sleep and I'm sure in many other areas too. Yeah, yeah. Also, like as you were saying, I also um, recall the, the other critical things that the parents have to be aware of, which is that um, the relationship, like it sounds really simple, but the re relationship with the, with the kids are lessons um, is really, really, really important. Um, just because, you know, they are your kids doesn't mean that the relationship is good automatically. Like they got to do some, they got to have some quality time. Um, and, uh, if they, if they don't, and yet continue to expect that the kids will listen to you, that's, it's, <laughs> It's a recipe for basically failure. That's an important uh, um, point. I just talked to some of our therapists today in our uh, clinics meeting to suggest about this quality time. Can you share a little bit more about quality time between parents and children? What counts as quality time? And what have you noticed like parents and children, what kind of low quality time may you know, look like. <laughs> Good question. Like, for example, like um, when when I say quality time to the parents, they still try to have a regular time, meaning like they telling the kids what to do too, um, even during that quality time. And then uh, what I mean by quality time is like basically like simply have fun, um, go somewhere where you know they both can have fun. And then usually um, it's not easy. Uh, if they're not really used to having quality time. So that's some, maybe they got some, uh, take some time to figure out what that is. Um, and then figuring out what the quality time is, in itself is already like, you know, starting the quality time. You got to talk about it with the, with the, with the kids and lessons. And then, um, I'm sorry, what was the second question that you were saying? I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> What are some examples of low quality time? Low quality time. Um, what do you mean by that low quality time? So you are suggesting quality time, right? I'm just trying to give the audience some examples. What are some examples that actually this is a poor quality time? It's not what we want to see. And even though they are spending time, but actually it's not helpful at all because there are some parents they said I try to spend time with my child and it still not work I tried I spend the time so I think it's about how to spend the time to make it either high quality or low quality mm -hmm. that's that that yeah that makes sense so um as you're saying like uh, yeah I remember so 
one of the things that's really important is like the court having quality time has to be consistent like it gotta happen like consistently it can be like every week for just like 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 30 minutes um if it just happens like you know like one of the things that uh the parents tend to do is that like they say that oh we went on a trip and uh, that was good but then like after the trip they do nothing so that, that the consistency is basically lacking. So you can't really like, you know, build a relationship with the kids. So like, you know, just if, if the audience can remember, like, you know, you, when you want to make friends, you want to continue to have a, you know, good time with them. So just like that, you got to have a good time with, with the kids as well. And then the, um, the other thing um, that I usually, um notice is that during the quality time if they don't really try to have fun um then kids can tell like they're really like you know uh they really have a good sense um and if the parents are not really like enjoying then they don't really believe that they're having a, a quality time and then the the other thing that i also remember is that like you gotta listen to the parent. I mean, I'm sorry, like the parents need to listen to the kids. And then what I mean by listening is like really active listening. Um, instead of thinking about like what to what to tell them to do, um, just listen to their world. Like they usually have some, their own world and then dreams that they wanna share. And then it's really up to the parents if they wanna listen or not. And then like if, if and then I always tell them, like, you know, if if that was hopefully the you know, the kids were born, um, how do I say this? Like the kids were born because the parents wanted the kids. And uh, if they remember the times that they were just born and then how happy they were, I hope that's gonna inspire inspire them the parents enough to remember that you know their kids are really precious so it sounds like there's a lot of self-education self um management for the parents on their part to really do i don't know whether mm -hmm. this uh, another analogy works if the parents see the child as their friend like to rethink about how do i treat my friends with respect with certain distance with listening versus how I treat my children, right? Do you think that analogy would work uh, somewhat? I know it's not exactly the same if, because parents still need to manage the child in a lot of ways, but sometimes I feel like it could be similar to with friends, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, except that the parents need to have a, you know, authoritative power, but then, um, yeah, like building a relationship with friends, it should be considered similar to like in building a relationship with kids and, you know, coworkers as well. Yeah, so sounds like how to deal with a toxic family relationship for uh, the children or adult children ourselves. We need to really learn how to protect ourselves, how to set boundaries, how to do a lot of assertive communications. And on the parent part, if the parents are able to be aware of their toxic behaviors or they are impacting their children negatively, 
So try to do some self-work on the parents' part as early as possible would be ideal and could help. But if not, at least uh, the adult children can still do some self-work, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not too late. Nothing is too late. So yes. Yeah, I like that. Always, there's always hope, right? There are always resources out there. There are a lot of therapists and um, also, if you want to work with Tatsuya and or check out his Japanese course on this topic, um, you know, it's it's in the chat and I will put it in the show notes. And also, Tatsuya has an email newsletter if you want to learn more and get information from him, you can register. Is this newsletter in English or Japanese? It's in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese only, so you have to speak Japanese to, to do this. <laughs> but you know, yeah. but then now, nowadays you can just use Google, I guess. That's true, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and I know your practice is in California, you know, so anyone who speaks English, if need this kind of a, uh, treatment or need to do some self-work, you can reach out to Tatsuya and go to his website, check out his practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then like if if I if uh, as far as my online course, you know, you can just you, you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere. So yeah, yeah, right. Great. So thank you Tatsuya for sharing all this uh, interesting line of work you've been doing. I know Asian families has very unique challenges and I'm happy there are therapists like you out there to really work with Asian populations on this very challenging topics. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. That was really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for watching and listening. So the conversation is going to be edited and be out on our podcast, Deep Into Sleep. And uh, some video clips may be out on our English uh, YouTube channel at Man Body Garden Psychology. So um, thank you all for watching. And we will have more different guests on and the different episodes coming further in our podcast. Anything else, like last wisdom you want to share with whoever listening or watching, Tasuya? Um, no, I, I just hope that, you know, um, what I presented today, um, I hope that was really helpful for, um, for those who are listening. So Yeah, at least hopefully that brings hope and a direction, mm. right? You mentioned ACT, this kind of psychotherapy, and you mentioned a lot of... Um, like directions people can consider, work on yourself, work with your parents. I even have people bring in their parents to the session to work uh, together as a family. So, you know, always keep the hope. Different family has the unique challenge, but you can always, for, for ourselves, right? We can always do some work to make ourselves suffer less, be healthier, be happier. That's totally yeah. doable. Just to yeah. sometimes need a little bit work. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I, I was the one that was raised by Doc's parents, but then now I have a really happy life. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's it's possible. So Yeah, very yeah. happy for you. And I also witness a lot of my clients grow so much and move into a happier life. Some of them can even carry a much better conversation with their parents and mm. even take the parents, impact the parents positively. So, mm. yeah, keep the hope up. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for watching, listening. That's it for today's episode. See you next time. Bye. 
So after this conversation, what do you think about toxic family relationship? Leave me a message. Let me know. So the video version of this conversation will be available on our YouTube channel at Deep Into Sleep Podcast. Welcome to subscribe and support our YouTube channel. So at the end, I still want to mention my insomnia course. If you know someone who suffers from insomnia, check out my insomnia treatment course CBTI. I use evidence-based first-line treatment for insomnia called CBTI. And the website is mindbodygarden.com/insomnia. Again, thank you very much for your interest in sleep science. Wish you a good night of sleep. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Ishan. See you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.